Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 new July movies in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? July was kind of a down month, uh, all told. Um, you know, with multiple vacations occurring. Not really. That's not. That's a lie. One vacation occurring. Uh, it, it really stunted the amount of films I was able to watch. And so in the month of July, I only, and you know, air quotes, only watched 95 new films in the month of July. Uh, so, mm, you know, uh, kind of a lesser month uh, by my general standards. Uh, when you compare that to June, which was 141, so solid 50 less movies uh, in July. But um, I did see at least 10, so there are a top 10 new movie lists. Uh, there is a top 10 new movie list for me to be able to make, and it's it's pretty one. Uh, it, it, there's two types of movies uh, that make up the bulk of this list, and that's new movies and Korean language movies. Between those two categories, that's seven of the ten films on this list. So uh, that, that's, that's going to be the bulk of, of today's, today's episode. Before we get into the top ten, I do want to give a special shout-out to our number 11 in July, which is Teen Titans Go to the Movies, uh, which I still think is, is very much a, a quite enjoyable movie. Even this this much later and in with this much hindsight I, I think it was just so much fun just a lot of fun good good times so uh, without any further ado let us jump into this month's top 10 starting with number 10 we have a film from 1984 uh, I watched it July 20th uh, clocked it about 90 minutes, and my brief summary is a mercenary is hired to rescue a singer from a biker gang. I gave this movie a 68. It currently has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by one Walter Hill, who is the director of The Warriors, uh, The Driver, which was on a previous top 10 list uh, from a monthly perspective. Uh, it stars the acting talents of Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, Amy Madigan, Bill Paxton, Willem Dafoe, and others. And that is Streets of Fire. So Streets of Fire uh, is, I really, I, I liked this movie. <clears throat> I would, I guess, really liked might be a little bit strong. But uh, for me, this was Rick Moranis in a very uncharacteristic role that I was just totally kind of blown away by. You get a really young Willem Dafoe as a greaser, uh, just just really chewing the scenery, which pretty much everyone in this movie does chew the scenery. 
you have Diane Lane, Amy Madigan, uh, Michael Pare, Bill Paxton, just a really strong 80, cast in the 80s of young people doing dangerous and ridiculous things. And, you know, you got biker gangs and rock singers, and it, it just, it just, it really it doesn't quite come together as well as I, I wish it could. Uh, something like Crybaby, I would put in a very similar vein. I think Streets of Fire, mm, definitely more better made in a sense, but I, I think Crybaby has a lot more campiness that it, it really gets right and a tone that it hits perfectly. But but definitely films that I would I would say uh, exist in the same genre, same same. Um, realm and streets of fire is a good one streets of fire it's it's you know walter hill i was about to say it's it's very similar to the warriors and it is because it's it's got a lot of the same dna you know by the same director um uh, streets of fire came out five years after the warriors so this was you know unlike the sprawling cityscape that uh, the Warriors played in, uh, Streets of Fire, it, it, as much as it plays in like the same amount of space, uh, it definitely feels like a much more concentrated and um, personal story uh, as it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't involve so many gangs. It's one gang and our protagonists and You know, it just, it just, uh, I don't know. It was just a really fun watch and a really enjoyable ride. And I, I had a great time with it. So my number 10 is Streets of Fire this month. And yeah, Streets of Fire with a 68, number 10. Uh, moving on to number nine. Number nine this month is the only short film to make this list this month's top 10. Uh, it is a 2012 animated film uh, with a... Somebody is watching Frozen next door. Uh, pause on number nine for a second. This new apartment, I'm having a lot more audio difficulties. Uh, not just peripheral noise, but, but just everything. I don't know, like... Uh, if this sounds quieter to you, uh, I, I can't explain where this... So so my microphone is picking up like a dull tone from something. And so I have continuously like dropped the gain to like n- uh, mitigate that. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that's coming from. And so, you know, if, if this doesn't sound quiet to you, well, awesome. But uh, I'm, I'm looking into... I'm probably going to like amplify the audio post in post uh, as best I can and make and uh, figure things out that way. Um, it might just be the huge room as uh, you know, previously I would record in my bedroom. Uh, now I record in the open living room next to a window. Don't know if that matters. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Back to number nine, back to number nine. Uh, 2012 film, short film, animated film. I saw it July 27th. Uh, it's only about seven minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. 
And my summary is an Android becomes self-conscious. I gave it a 70. It has no rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's, it's a very short film, uh, literally. And it basically follows a single Android woman who is asked questions by a, a bodiless voice and begins to recognize herself and her surroundings and who she is and, and have thoughts and it's it's not it, it doesn't it doesn't quite reach the extent of something like ex machina but uh, coming out in 2012 I think it does a great job of um, I don't know just just provoking and, and asking questions and uh, furthering this conversation that has been going on for you know a very very long time about AI and what that means for humans and and so on and so forth. Um, it's it's just I don't know. It just it looks good. It it feels real. You know, it was made by a video game studio. Uh, and uh, uh, Quantic Dream, that is the studio, they are turning this short into a fully-fledged video game in, in the near future. So that is exciting. And, or no, they already turned it into a video game. Some of the reviews are pretty old. Uh, Detroit Become Human is supposedly this video game. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is a really fascinating short, totally worth a watch, and give it a chance. I think I think it's I think it's worth it. Uh, did I even say the name of it? It's called Kara, K-A-R-A. Kara, number nine from 2012, short film that I gave a 70. Awesome. Uh, moving on to number eight. Number eight is a 2018 film. So it came out this year that I watched July 17th, 2018. It is 106 minutes long. And my brief summary is a father and daughter are living in the woods by themselves until their lives are uprooted. And if you keep up with modern recent films, you will know that this is Leave No Trace, which I gave a 71 and has a 100% the last time I checked Rotten Tomatoes. That feels unlikely now though let me see here can't still be at a hundred can it it can and is it is directed by Deborah Granick who is the director of Winter's Bone which I very very much enjoyed so I was looking forward to Leave No Trace I like Ben Foster uh, I'd seen Thomas and Mackenzie uh, before in The Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, as well as a short film called The Boyfriend Game, which I like. So I was looking forward to that as well. Um, and uh, the comparisons between this and Captain Fantastic are obvious. So, And I really like Captain Fantastic, so I was looking forward to this from that perspective too. And man, it totally, totally lived up to what I expected. Uh, it 
or not what I expected, but what I but I what I wanted, I suppose. Um, the performances from Foster and McKenzie are fantastic. They have great chemistry together. Uh, they just they they work in this environment, and and Deborah Granick shoots and and films them so so well that you never you're never in doubt as to who what characters they are and you know they're they're consistent the whole way through the film no matter what the circumstances no matter what the situation uh it feels natural it feels real and it it just it just it works on so many levels and you just fall in love particularly with thomas and mackenzie in this because i mean man she she just owns this movie she is by far the the uh, I would say better performer than Ben Foster in this uh, by a small margin not a not a large margin by a small margin uh, and um you know both both of them are currently in the running for the Circle of Film Award for lead at this point and the screenplay I think is is wonderful and it's written. Uh, by Dan- Deborah Granick and Anne Rossellini, who uh, just, I don't know, they, they understand these people, they understand this world that they inhabit, uh, even though it feels so foreign from you know, the world I inhabit and, and the world I imagine most people inhabit, and yet it feels like they lived it themselves, and I'm, I'm guessing to a small extent that they did. You know, they, they did as much research as they could for this film and, and understanding the people in it. And it's it's just, it's it's really, really well-crafted. Very, very well-crafted. Uh, the film is, is somber. You know, there are definitely moments of levity, but it, it's a very somber movie, uh, especially toward the end when the characters are changing and or to be more accurate one of the characters is changing and the other isn't and that is not easy to reconcile and when that sort of thing happens in real life you know you don't want the person changing doesn't want to lose the other person they don't want to move beyond them they don't want to move past them and this movie really shows how difficult that circumstance is and, and especially when it's family not even just like a friend and you you can't easily uh make that choice and and make that decision but the leave no trace does a great job of showing the difficulty therein as well as uh sort of offering a hand and 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 providing support to making the that sort of really difficult and oftentimes but oftentimes necessary decision and so i really enjoyed it for that uh 71 might seem actually a little low uh in hindsight um so i i hope to get a ch- i hope to watch it a second time um and and really see if it, it changes for me or if it improves because i i had a great time watching this despite the somberness so leave no trace my number eight um from 2018 with 71 moving on to number seven Uh, this is the first of our korean language films 
this one, this one I watched July 4th, 2018. Uh, it was actually the earliest seen film on this month's top 10. It is about 116 minutes long from 2008. Uh, my brief summary, a disgraced ex-cop tracks a serial killer. I gave it a 74. It has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Na Hong Jin, it is called The Chaser. Uh, so Na Hong Jin, who has also directed The Wailing, which came out in 2016 uh, to a lot of rave reviews. Uh, he also directed The Yellow Sea, um, which I watched this month, uh, but thought was more okay than good. Uh, but The Chaser is very, very fantastic. Uh, just, just, there's, there's, so like a lot of the best Korean films, it pits two awful people against each other uh, in both um, Kim Yun-suk, who plays Jung-ho, and uh, ha jung Woo, who plays Ju Young Min. Both of them are terrible people. Uh, one is a dirty cop who is also a pimp. The other is a serial killer. So, you know, the question becomes who can you root for? And incredibly, as in a lot of Korean films, you're able to root for both of them. It, it's, it's really staggering. Uh, it's it's just I, I don't know how it how they pull it off because at different times in the movie you want both of them to to do win to to not win but um, I don't, I don't know I, I not win but you know just just survive and and escape uh, there's one particular scene in the film uh, during a convenience store where man it, it's it's gut-wrenching and and edited and performed so in, incredibly uh, as the serial killer uh, character uh, Jung-woo Jung ha, ha Jung-woo I, I get that confused uh, Ha Jung-woo is searching for uh, I don't know he just he just he goes into a convenience store looking for a pack of cigarettes and things escalate uh, quite substantially from there on and it it just that that scene is kind of a perfect microcosm of this movie in that it kind of starts out you just kind of there watching things and, and hoping for the best and all of a sudden it just turns on a dime and it's the worst <laughs> and it just it's just the worst and I think I, I don't know I really really enjoyed it I, I think it deserves a look if you have the interest in um, Korean cinema. I, if you you know if you listen to the episode we did before on Korean cinema, you know this this is one of the films I watched uh, because of that, and as are most of these. And I think it's it's well worth your time. It's a very rough, difficult thriller, but it is a very good difficult thriller. So that's the Chaser. 74 out of 100 from 2008 and this month's number seven moving on to number six uh, we have the last film on the list that didn't come out this year or 
wasn't in uh, isn't a Korean language film. It's a 1985 film that I saw July 8th, 2018. Clocked it at 112 minutes. Uh, my brief summary is a Secret Service agent tracks down a counterfeiter. Has a rating of 76 from me with a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is directed by the great William Friedkin, who directed The French Connection, The Exorcist, uh, as uh, Killer Joe, Sorcerer, among others. And this is To Live and Die in L.A., starring William Peterson, Willem Dafoe, John Pankoff, Deborah Fowler, and John Turturro, among others. Uh, this is a pretty fascinating crime cop movie. So I'd recently watched all the Lethal Weapon movies, and uh, long story short, generally a thumbs down on Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, the only one I, I really enjoyed was the second one. But, and, and to that effect, you know, I've seen plenty of cop movies and buddy cop movies and, and spy thrillers and, and, you know, this, that, and the other. So, I go into, I, go, I don't really go into cop movies uh, anymore expecting to be surprised um, because generally they don't really surprise me. And,. Not that I would say that, like, To Live and Die in L.A. really just pulled the wool over my eyes or, or just knocked the socks off of me by any stretch, but it certainly gave me a, something new to see, gave me a different angle to look at, and that is far and away incredibly commendable. William Peterson, who isn't really a huge name, uh, is, a, is a fantastic lead. Uh, Willem Dafoe as the counterfeiter in the movie is great. He plays a fantastic villain, as he did in Streets of Fire. Uh, and, and just the supporting cast, J uh, John Turturro, uh, Dean Stockwell, uh, G Gary Cole has a brief brief scene in it. Uh, it, it just it's all works really well and comes together so perfectly in this movie. And what what kind of escalate you know it's the the tone really pushes this movie over the top a bit for me and the tone is just cool you know it, it has that suave this movie knows exactly what it's doing everything is is working yeah and firing on all cylinders feeling and and that is exactly what you want from a movie like this a movie where the characters themselves sort of feel a little in over their heads, sort of feel like the, 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 the ceiling can come crashing down on them at any second. And Friedkin just, I mean, he just plays this movie like a fiddle. He, 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 he's the puppet master of the whole thing, and it all flows seamlessly uh, with his administrations. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. I think you can totally make a case uh, for it um, as one of the one of the better cop movies out there, I think a lot of them sort of I don't know they they've gotten a little monotonous and straightforward of late, especially uh, you know one of the only ones that I can one of the only like cop detective movies that I can think of 
recently that I, I really enjoyed. I think that did a really good job of um, bucking the trend <clears throat> of tropes is uh, End of Watch, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, so, or, or I guess if you want to kind of stretch the definition, you could even extend it to something like Sicario. Uh, but yeah, to live in a die in LA, I really recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun, and g- it, it the story takes enough turns that it, it keeps you guessing. But it doesn't feel like some of these more modern detective cop movies where you're just completely clueless about what's happening and what's going on. So yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it. It's it's. Uh, far and away actually um, hold on let me make sure that's an accurate statement to make um, it is you know I, I really I've seen eight William Friedkin movies uh, this one ranks as my number three so it's I, I think it's better than The Exorcist um, but I, I do think it's a, a step behind French Connection and Killer Joe but that's just me so that's William Friedkin's To Live and Die in L.A., my number six uh, for July, with a 76. 76. Whew. Moving on to number five. This is a Korean-language film that I watched July 8th, 2018. It is the longest film on this month's top ten list at 134 minutes, so two hours and 15 minutes long. Is from 2012, and my summary is two teams of con people joined to take down a new job. I gave it a 77. It has a 67 on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Choi Dong-hoon, and uh, it's called The Thieves. Um, this was briefly mentioned on the Korean episode that I did uh, with Adam and... Uh, stars Kim Yun Suk, Kim Hai Su, Lee Jung Jai, Jun Ji Hyun, Simon Yam, Angelica Lee, Kim Hai Suk, a bunch of people, and uh, I'm sure names that most of you don't recognize. But the general premise, uh, as I mentioned, is two teams of con, ma- con people join up to steal a diamond necklace, and they are brought together by. Uh, an old mm, uh, I don't know what the right term would be uh, but if it's Ocean's Eleven it's more like George Clooney uh, brings in two groups of five to work on knocking over the casino with him that's kind of the twist the the way they they twist that Ocean's Eleven uh, premise and uh, from the start, you totally have all of these very striking relationships between all these characters. Uh, you get a lot of sort of old rivalries uh, coming back to the surface. You have uh, just just relationships and romantic situations. You have uh, people who don't really like each other and you know both of the teams both of these con um, thieves groups of thieves are from different places so you know you have one group that's from south korea but the other who are from hong kong so you know there's this territorial 
strife happening between between everybody and all of this to say that of any film like it of any heist movie uh that i've seen um you know this one is as best as i can think the film with the most with the highest stakes right so uh ocean's 11 i love ocean's 11 i think it's a great movie but but damn if it doesn't like wrap up way too neatly and i obviously they like try to remedy that in 12 and 13 but man that thing comes together perfectly the thieves does not the thieves is for the first half it does kind of feel like an ocean's 11 situation and then all of a sudden the second half hits you and uh people are dying uh, people are mortally injured uh you know allegiances are formed and broken uh, you know, there's one particularly fascinating uh, and, and exciting and exhilarating scene where um, everybody on either team is scrambling to get keep the uh, necklace for themselves. And so it's just like a chase between all of them, but also you have the cops and they're in the middle of the city. So it, it just it's just huge sprawling chase scene that's that's really fascinating to watch and everyone is constantly you know double crossing everybody else so it, it just it's just so fun it's so fascinating and so fun and, and really does something very different with this genre that you know american films aren't doing and and i think you know even something like logan lucky which came out last year and is a little bit i don't know it's i guess a touch grittier than Ocean's Eleven it's still a pretty neat film all all in all and The Thieves is is very very sloppy but for the good you know it, it's sloppy in plot the plot is sloppy uh, within its characters but the the film itself is very well made very well directed and performed and, and I just I just had so much fun with it I really did I can't you know, recommend it. I recommend it very highly. Uh, the Thieves, my number five this month, 77, 67% of Rotten Tomatoes. Korean language film. Choi Dong-hoon is the director. Big fan. Big fan. Kim Yon-suk, who plays the character of Macau Park, who is the George Clooney, the one that brings everybody together. Uh, he is also in the chaser <laughs> um he played uh the dirty cop in the chaser so double feature right it's worth it totally worth it uh awesome so that takes us to our number four of the month uh this is another korean language film this one i saw july 10th 2018 it's 109 minutes uh from 2003 so it's a little older. It, it has a summary of a family is haunted by deaths. Very straightforward. I'll explain a little more later. Uh, I gave it a 77. So I put it on par with The Thieves. It has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Kim Ji-woon, who also directed I Saw the Devil and The Good, the Bad, and the Weird, two Korean films that I very much enjoy. And 
the, A Tale of Two Sisters is my number four. And another film that I really enjoyed, it follows um, a recently released patient from a mental institution. Uh, she returns home with her sister uh, and re and discovers uh, her father and stepmother living in their house, um, which are kind of what we learn, we come to believe are the re- her stepmother is the reason we believe she is in the mental institution in the first place. And as the film progresses, we are shown both scenes prior to institution and after she gets home. Uh, scenes involve you know scenes where everyone is antagonist. You know, she, she's the problem is the, the our main character is incredibly unreliable and you can't really be sure how much of these antagonistic moments are just in her head or just exaggerated or real and it isn't until toward the end of the film when a big revelation is exposed and shown to us that we really feel like we know what's been happening the whole time and it really caught me off guard watching it I was not considering the the truth of the film, but it really is a fascinating, fascinating watch. Uh, it it is bloody. It's it's dark, as most of these Korean films are, and you know it it feels like I don't know you. you you wonder while you're watching, you know, how much of this is happening. And the film, to its credit, tries to convince you, I think, equally that these are things going on in our, on in our main character's head. These are things going on in the house uh, that are actually happening. These are ghosts in the house that are doing this. Uh, you can't really determine, you know, how much of this film is supernatural, how much of it is fantasy, uh, how much of it is psycho- psychological. Um, psychologic uh, problems, I guess, is how I want to f- end, end that question uh, phrase. And uh, it, it just it really hooks you and drags you through this experience. It is shocking, and ultimately, uh, you know, lands on a very, very painful ending because, you know, it's kind of, you know, you you can say that, you know, the big moment, the big shock of The Sixth Sense is Bruce Willis was always dead. He's He's been dead the whole time. And it's true. I mean, obviously, that is the big shock of that movie. And when you hit that moment in this movie, it's it's more than that. The, there's, an whole, there's a whole other layer to this movie. And uh, I think that is what really elevates it to the extent that it, to to where it's at for me, because, man, it it just it's such a gut punch, you know. It's it's a one-two thing where, first you have to contend with, oh, <laughs> this is this is, not, the reality I thought I was living in, and then all of a sudden you are piled on by this complete other new information and new revelation and. That is just as just as painful, just as horrific as anything else could be, and I I thought it was just 
beautifully executed, especially at the end. It's a little long. It takes its time to get to where it's going. Uh, not that it doesn't need all this time to really build up everything, but uh, if if that's that's kind of why it it doesn't rate a little bit higher. I think it's 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 a little too slowly paced for much of the film, and it isn't until about the second half, last third or so, that things really pick up a little. And uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So that's A Tale of Two Sisters, my number four this month, from Kim Ji-woon from 2003 with a 77. Awesome. Uh, Stepping away from the Korean language films for our number three, we have another 2018 film. This one I watched July 26th, 2018. It It runs for about 114 minutes. And its summary is a portrait of a brilliant actor and comedian. It is a documentary that I gave a 77. It has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. It was, I believe, released in through HBO, I think. And it is called Robin Williams, colon, Come Inside My Mind. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Robin Williams. I was lucky enough to go see uh, the original Jumanji in theaters uh not too long ago um and and that was just such a delight to be able to see again and he's fantastic in it and this movie i mean his robin's passing was hard on on i'm sure a lot of people i think a lot of us grew up with him and you know we remember him as genie we remember him uh, you might even remember him as Batty from Fern Gully, you know, he was in Goodwill Hunting, and, and it, it just there's just so much that he's associated with, and it's impossible to really separate him from all of these characters. You know, he, he made them who they are. You know, I remember watching him for the first time in Dead Poet Society, and man, what a what a fantastic teacher and and friend and you know just just person he would be or uh or or in something like uh i don't know uh, the birdcage or mrs doubtfire uh you know he he's proven himself time and time again to be a fantastic actor uh which is i guess my my biggest connection to him is as as an actor uh, but I've been I've I've seen his stand up. I've seen uh, you know they reference one of his stand up shows in the movie, a couple of them I think, and I, I've seen that. I've I've watched it, listened to it. I know a lot of those jokes, and he's he's just fantastic. And then to find they they tell you this anecdote about you know he one of his friends rehearsed a lot of that with him, and prior to the show, they they ended up. They, they, they were, you know, they had, you know, such and such amount of material ready. And when the guy watched the actual show, it was like 50% new stuff that he'd never even heard before. And, 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 you know, how much of that just came out of his head was just off the fly. You know, he was just a brilliant, brilliant mind. And to go inside of it is, is so fascinating. And so I, you know, it just such, such a, such a, powerful journey and you know we get to see and talk to a lot of 
a lot of friends of his, uh, specifically Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, Steve Martin, Eric Idle, David Letterman, Bobcat Goldthwait, um, all of these people who, you know, Louis Black, all these people who, you know, are, are celebrities, comedians, actors in their own right who have carved their own name for themselves. And, you know, the reverence that they have for Robin Williams in this documentary is, it speaks volumes. You know, it, it just re- it really speaks volumes. And at times, the film does kind of teeter uh, on the side of just being a puff piece, I think. But but the majority of the film is 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 just fascinating, and and learning about who he was and the way he thought, and you know his life prior to acting, and and growing up and how he conducted himself and just just I don't know getting from point A to point B is is a journey in and of itself and one that I really really enjoyed going on so yeah Robin Williams coming to my mind I I wholly wholly advocate it uh, really check it out, honestly. It's it's really good. So Robin Williams comes on my mind. My number three this month. Number three. Um, we are getting to the top. Getting to the top. We have two films left. Uh, our penultimate film this month. I saw it July 19th, 2018. Um, is 115 minutes long and is a 2018 film. It is a documentary. I gave it a 78. It has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. I will not read the summary because it pretty much gives away what the film is. It is directed by Kevin MacDonald, director of The Last King of Scotland, How I Live Now, Black Sea, State of Play, The Eagle, uh, and many others. And uh, it's called Whitney. This is the Whitney Houston documentary, uh, my summary biopic of Whitney Houston. So kind of gives it away and got to see this in the theater. It's it's contrary to Robin Williams. Whitney Houston is someone I'm not very familiar with, someone I don't really know that well. And I, I think what, I'll, you know, I, I think as someone who has... I don't know, you know, my, my biggest knowledge, my, my, what I know most about her is, uh, I will always love you. That's pretty much it. And this movie shows just how much more was going on behind the scenes. You know, obviously people who are alive at this time and, and not just alive, but also, uh, um, cognizant of what was happening and, and following her story in the news and then, you know, reading the tabloids and this, that, and the other, uh, had to had probably have a probably go into this with a pretty strong understanding of what was going on, and the footage that this film that this documentary has, and and the information that it's able to provide, are both very intimate. You know, we see a lot of moments with Whitney. You know, behind the scenes in in the studio in uh you know with her family and and out and about and not just at a concert you know and and that is what is the most valuable part 
Now that's that's what's really valuable about this film is the different sides of her that you see. And I, I've definitely seen people, you know, there are a couple of moments in the movie where Whitney is definitely not shown in, in a positive light. And to that extent, you know, I think that's important. I think that's what should be. I think, you know, you, you, if, if you want somebody to make a film about you, it's not going to just be all your, you know, all your positives, all your, uh, all, all the good things, you know, everyone has flaws and, and, Whitney certainly did, and we see some of them come to light and and show themselves in this film, and I, I like that. I appreciate that. I think you need to take that side of someone uh, to really understand what was happening with them, and you know, it's you can't not have this movie without talking about how she died, and you can't really, you know, just let her die after spending, you know, two hours talking about how she was the best person in the world, because she wasn't, you know, she was great, and she was a fantastic singer, and she, you know, she made hundreds and, you know, millions and millions of dollars, and that's amazing, and I think that that's something to be looked at, and and sought at, and uh, lauded, and yet, there's so much more to it than that, there's so much more going on, and this movie does a good job of trying to show that there's always two sides and in some cases three four five six sides so as someone who was very unfamiliar with with Whitney Houston on a lot of different levels Whitney the documentary does a great job of, of clearing up a lot of those mysteries and, and answering a lot of those questions and more, more to the point is that the document is that everyone interviewed in this movie feels like they they're lying to cover their own ass and I, I loved that i think you can really see it on everybody's faces especially someone like la reed who i'm only familiar with through the x factor but man he if he doesn't look like every word that comes out of his mouth is just a steaming pile of shit i don't know <laughs> i don't know what does uh so that was also fascinating as well to kind of use Whitney Houston in a way to expose how every other person in her life deluded themselves and maybe continue to delude themselves and even uh, is just kind of attempting to delude others into thinking that everything happened differently than than what we all know to be true so that was also a, a fascinating angle for this movie so i really enjoyed whitney had a good time watching it uh it is my number two this month that i saw for the first time gave it a 78 and uh really liked it really good and that brings us to number one Number one uh, is a Korean language film that I saw July 5th, 2018. It is 82 minutes long. Uh, So the shortest film on the list that isn't a short film. It is from 2013. My summary, a mother wants revenge against her husband over his adulterous ways. I gave this movie an 88, so a huge, huge gulf between numbers two and one, uh, 10 points. And Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 78%. Uh, 
this movie is directed by Kim Ki-duk, who I first discovered in, not discovered, but first watched in um, June, I believe, with Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, which is an incredible film. And I've now seen three of his films, including The Isle, which I thought was okay. But this one that I saw, and number two this month, which I also think is an incredible, incredible, great film, is Mobius. Mobius. So, <laughs> this movie, it, I don't really think I can recommend it <laughs> at all. It's not a movie that... Um, you can't enjoy it. I don't think there's any way you can enjoy it. I don't think it's possible. It's it has almost no dialogue, and uh, the the film features some of the most horrific things I've ever seen, and it it is definitely not for everyone. You will know if this movie is for you within the first five minutes, and. Uh, man, it, it is really, really painful to watch. And I don't know how much more I can say. It's, it's a polarizing film. I really enjoyed it. Not because it's fun, not because it's happy, but because it is dark, but very much a... a man, I, uh, it's, it's raw, it's vicious, it's disturbing, it's violent... And if, if, that's, if that's what you want, if that's, if that's feasible, if that's a decent, uh, if that's a good thing for you, then, then you know, check it out, please. I, I really think everyone should take a look at the first, like, five minutes of this movie because, man, it is not, not an easy watch. And uh, I'm sure I'm selling it so well right now. Uh, but... Um, I guess the movie opens with the mother character, a wife and mother, uh, uh, discovering that her husband is cheating on her. And it proceeds to follow her that night at their home into her own bedroom where her husband sleeps uh, blissfully unaware of what has come to light and she attempts to uh, castrate her husband while he sleeps Um, the film doesn't let that happen because he wakes up and stops her and the following moments of that movie are just so so harrowing and i i can't i i just oh man it just defies everything that you think can be done in a movie and it's it's so beautifully executed kim kiduk directs this film fantastically i i just I don't know. I don't know what else I can say. I don't, I don't want to like give too much of it away. Uh, I don't want to, because I think it's it's. Look, if I think I've, I've cautioned enough about going to see this without. I mean, if you want to look up what happens, 
go ahead. I mean, you know, I'm not going to stop you. But, man, it's it's a... Just a tough watch. Just a tough watch. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. It's... Oh, man. And... and what what's fascinating is this movie starts at like a 15 right the first like five minutes it is incredibly elevated incredibly over the top and impossible to to nail down and then it continues right the movie has to go somewhere from there and it maybe never reaches the same heights uh, as far as how raw and intense it is but it it really in my opinion, um, satisfactorily plays out the fallout of, of what would have taken place and what, what happened. And and that is just, man, I... I uh, yeah, so uh, Mobius from Kim Ki-duk is my number one this, this month in July. And... Uh, I, I can't really recommend it, but if you aren't if you aren't put off, if you aren't put off, if there's nothing you won't at least try once, give it a look, give it a look, or or check out the summary or the Wikipedia or something if if you're on the fence and and see if it's anything you might be interested in. So to run down the top ten one more time for this month, starting at number ten, Streets of Fire, Kara. Leave No Trace, The Chaser, To Live and Die in L.A., The Thieves, A Tale of Two Sisters, Robin Williams, Come Inside My Mind, Whitney, and Mobius. Those, that is my top ten of July. Brand new films that I've seen. Um, uh, I can say that there are a handful of films that I saw uh, that would have made this list if I was including repeat watches. Uh, so I mentioned Jumanji earlier. That would have made this list. Um, I was I rewatched Thor Ragnarok. Uh, I also got to see the original Thor, but I think that probably wouldn't have made the list. So let's just limit that to Jumanji and Thor Ragnarok. So good, uh, solid month. I think one of the weaker months that I've had so far, but definitely not without its its um without its good stuff a lot of good stuff so uh thank you for listening to today's episode i really appreciate it um if you would like to check out more episodes from this podcast you can head over to circleoffilm.com if you'd like to get in touch with me you can find me on twitter at circle of film or through email circleoffilm at gmail.com if you want to support the show for as little as eight cents an episode, you can do that on patreon.com slash circle of film. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.